Uh, I heard a story, read it, I can't remember if I read it or, or heard about it or how I, I, I heard about it, but uh, it involves uh, Amy Carter. For those of you who don't know who Amy Carter, I'm sure there's more than one Amy Carter, but this particular Amy Carter uh, is the daughter of uh, former President Jimmy Carter, who served as president from 1976 to 1980. And there was a story, apparently Amy had a homework assignment that she had due. It was Friday, and the homework assignment was due on Monday, which obviously didn't leave very much time to get it done. And it was a project on the Industrial Revolution, and Amy had some questions about it. And so she went to her mom. Her mom couldn't answer the question, so her mom went to, this is Miss Carter, um, and her mom went to one of her aides, asked him the question. He didn't know the answer, so the aide of her mom called and um, got a buddy uh, from the labor department uh, to start working on this answer to this question and, and kind of some research on, uh, on the Industrial Revolution as a whole. Uh, and so, you know, to see if they could help. And he told him to put a rush on the assignment because it was due on Monday and, and it was the weekend, obviously. Well, thinking that the information was for the president himself, the labor department put a full team of workers working overtime on the job. And sure enough, Sunday afternoon, government van pulls up at the White House. Two guys unload boxes full of information and printouts, thinking it was for the president, when in fact it's for the president's daughter, Amy. And Miss Carter was, uh, I guess she was quoted as being horrified that hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars had been spent that weekend just to supply her daughter with information for a homework project. By the way, Amy got a C with the Labor Department's information. Can you imagine, though, what it must be like to be a child growing up in the White House? Now, I know, and I, I'm not, I don't want to get political at all on this, but I, I know that there is a certain pressure and a certain lifestyle that comes with being a, a young daughter in the White House, but I'm just talking about what it must be like to have access to what is pretty much the most powerful person on the planet. And yet as incredible as that might be, that's nothing compared to the kind of access to power that you and I have as children of God. And the good news is that God and his labor department uh, don't do sea work. And the other good news is that you or I or any other taxpayer don't have to pay a dime for his labor department because his son has already paid the price for us to have access to his labor department. And so as we continue in our series, The Good Life, where we're walking through Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, today the question for us is this. What do we do with an all-access pass to the throne room of the universe? And I think Jesus talks about that very subject in our passage today. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 7. So we skipped around last week. We looked at verses 1 through 6, then we skipped to 16 through 18. So we're going to come back and get into the middle of what he talks about in between those verses, which is what we often call the Lord's Prayer. And uh, so we'll look at that verses 7 through 15. So anyways, Jesus says, starting in verse 7, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. And certainly many of us have heard these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Obviously, there's much to be said about the subject of prayer from this passage, but I want to call our attention to three things in particular that I think Jesus is trying to tell us here when it comes to prayer uh, as it relates to the good life and and the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. Because the reality is that the good life that we've been talking about is inevitably going to include a prayerful life. And so first off, I think Jesus is trying to tell us this, that prayer is not about performance as much as it is about relationship. That, that prayer is not about us, us performing and, and, and saying all these right things. It, it, it's about a relationship, a relationship with our heavenly Father. Jesus says in verse 7, Don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because they speak a lot of words. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on, on that part in particular, but I, I do find it funny. I mentioned this on, on our class on Wednesday nights. I, I do find it funny, and I even catch myself doing this. Do you ever pray words in prayer that you would not say in any other context? And uh, sometimes, as, as guys, when we, when we pray up here, we, we, we use words like bestow. And, you know, an old, old English, like bestow is just the one I thought of. So if you use bestow, I'm not criticizing you at all. But um, I, I just, I, I think sometimes we, we fall into this trap. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing when we use that kind of language. But I think sometimes it does tend to, like, train us to think more in terms of performance in our prayers instead of... Uh, instead of just being relating to God and, and, and being with him and, and, and thinking of it more of a relationship. And Jesus says that, you know, just because you speak a lot of words, fancy words, doesn't mean that that makes a difference because it's not about performance. Don't be like them, Jesus says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I think the main point I, I want to bring up here, when, when talking about prayer, Jesus speaks of God as our father. In fact, in the very next verse, in verse 9, Jesus says, listen, when you come into the throne room of the universe, and he tells us how to pray, teaches us how to pray, he says, I want you to address, here's how I want you to address God, Father. And last week we spent some time talking about the significance of that, of Jesus telling us to refer to God as Father, he himself referring to God as Father. You know, it's interesting, you you read through the Old Testament, and there's, there's, God is called Father some, but you get to the New Testament, and Jesus sheds a whole new light on how we relate to God as our Father. And of all the titles that, that God is referred to in Scripture, and there are quite a few, the one that Jesus tells us to relate to God as primarily is that of our Father, the most intimate title of all. Why? Because that's exactly why Jesus came, to make it possible for you and me to call God Father, to make it possible for you and I to be restored to God as sons and daughters of our Father. And the fact that Jesus tells us to refer to him as our Father, I think is a dead-on clue that it's not about performance when we pray. It's not about coming to God and, and, and having this, you know, well-scripted prayer. I'm not, again, I'm not saying those are bad things, but it's not about performance. It's about connecting and being in a relationship with our Father. That's why I think sometimes the most effective prayer we can pray is just pouring our hearts out to God and saying, God, here I am. Father, here I am. Help me. You know, I, I need you. Sometimes that is the most effective prayer that we can pray. Along those lines, another thing I think Jesus is teaching us here about prayer is that it's not about informing God. It's about being drawn together with God. Listen again to verse 8. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Prayer is not about us informing God or enlightening God. It's not about us like reading off. And again, I'm not criticizing anyone who does that. It's not us reading off the announcement sheet as if we're informing God on what's going on. And God's in heaven like, I did not know that. I, thank you for letting me know, you know. And, and again, you know, sometimes we just, we fall in these habits. And I, it's not a bad thing. I, I'm not trying to criticize. Again, I'm, 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 okay, that's the last time I'm going to say that. I hope you know I'm not trying to criticize. But it's like we're, you know, God be with, you know, John Smith, who's in room 327 at Bronson Hospital. You know, he just suffered a heart attack. And it's like, I did not know that's where he was. You know, I, thank you for letting. Again, because I, I just think sometimes we get so fixated on saying the right things and being in the right posture that we forget that prayer primarily is about us connecting to our Heavenly Father. It's not about us finding the right formula to say, but it's about being drawn close to Him. It's not about figuring out how much to tell God and figuring out, well, you know, where do I begin in this story with God? It's not even about making sure that we articulate the issue correctly so that God sends the right answer from heaven and not the wrong answer. As if God would say, well, you didn't say it right and you asked for the wrong thing and so I sent you the wrong shipment. So next time you got to make sure you say the exact right word. It's like a magic code that we have to open up the doors of heaven to get it right and get what we think that we want. It's not about any of that. Because as Jesus says, he knows what you need before you even ask him. Which then brings up another question, right? Well, if he knows what we need, then why ask? If he already knows what we need, then why do we come to him in prayer? Well, Jesus doesn't really address that here. But let me give you a few things to think about. First, as we talked about, part of prayer is a relationship, right? So part, part of that engagement with God in prayer is about building a relationship and us being drawn together with Him. And along those lines, I think there's something to be said about the power of a request, of being asked to do something. And I'm not talking about an ego trip here, but just think of it in terms of, uh, uh, of being asked by your child or being asked by someone that's close to you requesting your help, requesting you to, to intervene. The, the power of a request is that it tends to unite rather than divide, right? As opposed to a demand. You think about a, a demand tends to kind of, you know, if someone demands something of you, your immediate reaction is to kind of, whoa, 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 I, I don't want to do that. I mean, let's just go ahead and put out, you know, the last two and a half years, how many of us didn't like some of the demands that were put on us, right? So we, we don't really like demands. Requests, however, tend to be a little bit more inviting. They tend to be a little bit more uniting. You know, just think about it for, for a second. There are some cases where we like to be asked by our children to do something or to help them do something, even though you know from the outset there's no way they can do it on their own, Right? There's no way they can accomplish this task, this, this job, whatever it may be, on their own. They need your help, but it is in the asking that we are connected to them, right? And we, we want them to ask them because they're, or to ask us because they're, we're, we're being drawn together. They're, they're requesting our help. They're, they're opening themselves up to our help. We're being wanted by our children. That brings us pleasure because we love our children. We want to help them. On the flip side, think about times when your children make demands of you, right? That doesn't draw us. It repels us. 
and it makes us want to repel them to a certain extent. Here's another illustration of the power of a request. Have you ever avoided, don't raise your hand, have you ever avoided someone because they knew, you knew they were probably going to make a request of you? Because in, in, in the very nature of the request, request, we're put in a position where we're going to have to be drawn closer to them in some way, shape, or form, at least for a few moments. And maybe the relationship has to go to some next level, and we're not ready for the relationship to, be, to go to that next level. Or what about this? Have you ever had someone make a request of you, and you didn't fulfill it? More often than not, that person feels some degree of hurt when you don't fulfill that request. And that in and of itself, I think, testifies to the fact that in the very making of the request, the relationship is in some way deepened. And in the very nature of not fulfilling that request, the relationship is in some way damaged. I think all of these are ways of illustrating that there's something powerful in relationship forming when a request is made. And I think that's at least in part some of why an all-knowing creator, he knows everything before you ever ask it, still wants to be asked, still wants to be invited into our lives and into our hearts. He doesn't want to force himself on us, but he wants to be asked. Speaking of requests, Jesus offers an alternative to babbling like the pagans, as well as something to pray about beyond even our wants and our preoccupations when we enter into the throne room of the universe, and it's this. Prayer is not about asking God to align his resources with our will, but rather it's about aligning our hearts and our resources with his will. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And when he says, this is how you should pray, he's not talking exactly about the, the, saying the exact words here in the Lord's Prayer, although that's not a bad thing. I, I, I mean, I, I've prayed the Lord's Prayer before, and it's a good thing to pray the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus doesn't say, this is what you should pray. He says, this is how you should pray. Because in prayer, it's not so much the exact words, but it's about aligning our hearts with God's will. And I think this is important for us to grasp and to understand, because a lot of times when you see the Lord's Prayer, it's almost like this, this anthem of sorts. It's almost like rote that we know it. Similar to the 23rd Psalm, right? We know passages like that. We're able to recite them, and if we're really feeling holy, we'll recite them in the, in the King James Version, right? You know, I I, I, can't even remember that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, thy kingdom come. We feel very holy when we recite these things. In American culture, the Lord's Prayer is is pretty well known. In fact, it's one of the best known passages in the Bible. But while it may be very well known, that doesn't mean it's very well lived. The Lord's Prayer is not some lucky rabbit's foot or some bottle to be rubbed where the genie comes out and, and, and gives us what we want. If anything, it's an invitation to give up what we want and to give ourselves over to what God wants. Now, that doesn't mean that we still don't talk to God about what we want, about what we desire, about those preoccupations in our hearts. Sometimes the only way that you and I can release those things is to talk to God about it and just say, God, this is where I am. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I want. This is my desire. I'm, I, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if you want it, but I'm just getting it off my chest. Listen, God can handle it. God can handle it. He can handle our, our wants and our desires. He can handle our, our struggles and our pains. He can handle those things. What he can't handle is us not coming at all to him because he wants to be drawn together. He wants to be asked. He wants to be connected with. But 
after we lift those things up to the Father, there's something to be prayed beyond those things. And that's the value system that I think Jesus speaks of in the Lord's Prayer. And so having all, said all that, I want us to look at what I think is the centerpiece of the prayer. And I think it's found in verse 10 when Jesus says these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what are we saying when we pray this? In our culture today, I think we have a hard time kind of wrapping our minds around a kingdom. We don't deal with kingdoms a whole lot. What, what does it mean to be in a, a kingdom? But in Jesus' day, very familiar with, with kingdoms. A kingdom is, in essence, a place where one king dominates. Everyone and everything in that area is ultimately under what the king desires. A person's kingdom is that realm where their choice determines what happens. Now, God has a lot of things that he desires for this world and our lives. I have a question for you. Is he getting all of those things right now? Obviously, the answer is no, right? We look around our world and we, we know the answer to that question. Now, just to be clear, that's not because God can't make it happen, but there is a, 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 a level of it because God gives us free choice and he wants us to, to come to him on our own terms, you know, not our own terms, but to make that choice to follow him. There is an element of surrender that we as human beings must be involved in. But God's kingdom is the realm where what he wants done is done. It materializes. It becomes reality. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're praying for is for things on earth to be done according to God's desires, just as they are in heaven. One of the things that makes heaven heaven is that in, is that in heaven, everything is as God wants. In heaven, God's will is completely submitted to. What we're doing, in essence, is praying for rain, praying for God's rain. God, may your will be done. May it be accepted. May it be followed. May it be committed to, and may it be carried out on earth the way it is in heaven. By the way, that ought to make us want for his will to be done, because you think about heaven and the descriptions of heaven. I'll get to those in just a second. Man, I want more of that on earth because we sure don't have enough of it right now. And there'd be a whole lot less tears and pain and a whole lot more peace and wholeness if we started surrendering our will to his. So that being said, what is God's will? What are some of his strong desires? What does he want? Where, where do we go to get an idea of, of this? Well, obviously all of scripture really speaks to this, right? That, that is part, part of the, the, the message of scripture is to speak to God's love for us, but also his desires for how we are to live our lives. But let me just give you three places in particular that I think speak to God's will and what his kingdom is all about. The first is what we just looked at, what we just read at the beginning and, and part of what we, we have on the screen right now, and that's the Lord's Prayer. I mean, when you just walk through it, I think the Lord's Prayer reflects God's will, his passions, his desires. Just walk through it with me. Our Father in heaven, God desires to be known as our Father. Hallowed be your name. God desires for his name to be hallowed, to be revered, to be respected. He's God. We're not. Give us today our daily bread. God desires for us to have daily sustenance. His kingdom isn't just about us being saved. It's also about daily needs being met. Forgive us our debts. God desires for people to experience forgiveness from him. As we also have forgiven our debtors, God also desires for us to offer 
forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God desires for people to live in victory over temptation and sin and to be delivered from the evil one. Each of those are examples of what God desires. And you can see how all of those things revolve around the idea of praying for things to be done on earth as they are in heaven. Another place I think we can go to, shocker here, is to Jesus, right? The words and the life of Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. So if anybody knows what God's will is, it's him, right? So what did he say? How did he live? What did he value? What did he not value? How did he treat people? Look at Jesus's life and listen to his words and you will see the Father's will, the Father's desire. We see the kind of things that we need to look for when it comes to God's kingdom being present on the earth. And those things should flood our hearts and our minds when, we, when, when it comes to praying for those things to be done on earth as they are in heaven. Speaking of heaven, I think that's a third place we go to, when we, to, to find out what God desires. Now, I'm obviously not saying we literally go to heaven or physically go to heaven, but we look at how heaven is described, as I mentioned just a few moments ago. How, how, how is heaven described in Scripture? In heaven, there's no sin. There's no chaos. There's no pain. No confusion. No death. God wipes away every tear. There's no division. No shame. No separation from God. No sickness. No addiction. No poverty. And so when we run into such realities on earth, we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's so much to this idea of on earth as it is in heaven that we're not just in this holding pattern where, you know, we we, we give our lives to Jesus and we're saved and then we sit around until Jesus comes back you know, singing 50,000 verses of kumbaya and, 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 you know, kind of paying our, our heavenly deposits or so we may think by how many times we attend church or this Bible study or that Bible study and how many, you know, packets of grape juice and, and, and bread we can consume and, and we're tallying all those things up until one day hopefully we have enough, you know, on, on, on this side so that when we get to the other side they all tally up in our favor. Jesus hasn't just saved us. We're we're not just sitting in a holding pattern. He's also made it possible that once we are saved, that we then prayerfully contend and live our lives in such a way for things to be on earth as they are in heaven. And when we're working towards those things, we're seeing some of God's reign fall. As a side note, I was thinking about this and some, some of the dynamic. You know, obviously when Jesus talks about and he prays your will be done i think he it's it's a very you know here's what god's will is but i was also thinking a lot of times when we pray that you ever you ever prayed that prayer father just your will be done and it's almost kind of in an a a a position of ignorance like i don't know what your will is here you know what, what is your will i just pray whatever it is father that your will be done and I think that's a good prayer. It's not, certainly not a bad prayer. When you're at the end of your rope and you don't know which way to turn, Father, I, I don't know what your will is, but I just pray that your will be done in this area. But I think the harder prayer is in the other times when we do know what God's will is, right? I mean, if we're honest, most of the time we do know what God's will is. And if you don't, then just pick up this and you'll find some pretty, pretty good clues as to what God's will is. And we read it, and it's revealed to us, 
And we need to pray that his will be done there too. And so your will be done isn't just for the times when we don't know what his will is, but really for all of those times that we do know what his will is. And we just need help to do it. You know, the reality is that our world is filled with so many things that are not on earth as they are in heaven. It doesn't take much to look around our world, our communities, our homes, our churches, and to see that reality is not true. And I pray that God would move our hearts and our minds to be mindful and to pray over those things. And not just to stop at prayer, but to be active in helping to bring about heaven on earth. I would pray he would drive us to action in those areas. But if his his kingdom and his will are going to be done through us, then his kingdom and his will must be first done in us. And so as we close our time today, I want each of us to ask ourselves, what does it mean today for me to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, not just on earth, but in me as it is in heaven? And even Jesus had to grapple with this question. In Matthew chapter 6, he prays for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done, but that isn't the last time he prays that prayer. In Matthew chapter 26, we find him in the garden of Gethsemane on his knees. Verse 39 says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then verse 42, he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus himself had to come to grips with the realization that if God's kingdom was going to come, if God's will was going to be done so that people might have the opportunity to find salvation and forgiveness and healing and reconciliation and joy and peace, if those things were going to happen, it was going to happen over his dead body. And Jesus himself shows that God's kingdom coming, God's reign falling, God's will fully being done will eventually involve every single one of us learning to lay down our wills, our lives, our kingdoms for his. Because you see, the reality is we can pray that prayer. It sounds good, right? We know it, many of us know it by heart. And yet so often the biggest hindrance and resistance to the reign of God falling and his kingdom coming more fully in my life is my own reign and my own kingdom. And this prayer The Lord's Prayer is all about you and me getting into position for there to be a 100% forecast, a 100% chance of rain. The Lord's reign in our lives. But if his kingdom is going to come, then the kingdom of me and you is going to have to fall.